This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. One, scenes from New York City that are more reminiscent of a third world country. What illegal immigration is doing to America. Two, horrific incident from the world of hockey where a player's throat is slashed by another's skate. Tragic. But is it criminal? Three, the evidence, the case, and the verdict. Is Ron DeSantis wearing lifts in his cowboy boots? It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Wednesday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcasts. A lot of changes coming to the Will Kane Podcast in the coming weeks and months. In short, more frequent, more immediate, and more available on demand. You can watch the Will Kane podcast on YouTube, but there is now a Will Kane live YouTube page where you can go check out past episodes and monologues. We want to be able to make all the content we have created available. I'll tell you why in Friday's episode of the Will Kane podcast. But in short, you can watch the Will Kane podcast on YouTube and keep up with it at Will Kane live on YouTube. And you can, of course, follow me on X at Will Kane. The closer we get, the less it's about appreciation and the more it becomes expectation. I expect, I need to win the World Series. On Monday night, we were sitting as a family watching game three of the Texas Rangers and Arizona Diamondbacks, a game in which the Rangers won three to one. It was also a game they had to turn over to their roller coaster of a bullpen. I still have PTSD from 2011. I never feel safe, nor will I feel safe, until the last strike is thrown. I will never feel safe until the game is over. So there I was, writing pitch by pitch game three, as I'm waiting for first Aroldis Chapman, then to turn it over to Jose Leclerc to save the Rangers. And the tension in the room was so thick, punctuated by tea kettle explosions of release the minute there's a swing and a miss. I celebrated more than anyone in the room. But, while that may say something about me when there is a 12-year-old in the room, really what made me the most happy was the reaction of the 12-year-old in the room. My son West watched the World Series, with the same level of tension. Now, this is a boy who in the past who had said to me that baseball was stupid and baseball is boring and he doesn't get baseball. But I knew he'd never invested. He'd never really watched baseball. Oh, he'd been to a game or two, but I think at one point he went to a Ranger game with his grandfather and said, when can we go? He'd never had been, well, invested. But in playoff baseball, World Series baseball, 
There isn't a thing that occurs that isn't filled with tension. Every pitch, every swing, every defensive play. And so you sit there with some... It's hard to approximate in other sports. Level of pressure and pressure release. When you're watching playoff hockey, you're always, you know, at 5,000 RPMs. You're always redlining. It's a great playoff hockey. When you're watching football, yeah, you have time off in between plays, but it feels like you stay at a slow boil until a big play. At baseball, you redline, then you drop back down. You redline, and you drop back down. And that drama, everyone says in a movie, you can't simply give them one hard punch and expect them, one hard dramatic emotional punch and expect the audience to cry. No, you need to give them a little and then let them go and then come back with a double punch. And that's when you'll see waterworks. And that's baseball. After the game, after the Rangers won, I flipped it over to Monday Night Football where it was Lions and Raiders. And my 12-year-old son said to me, man, football seems so boring now comparing it after turning it over from the World Series. And I said, look at you. We've made a convert. But now I need, I need the Rangers to win the World Series. And sadly, despite winning that game, it looks like they've lost Max Scherzer and perhaps their playoff hero who's having a playoff of the ages. Most RBIs in playoff history Adolis Garcia. And I'm here to say, if they lose Adolis Garcia, I want the Rangers to pull up their rookie, just drafted in the spring, who flew through the minor leagues, played in the College World Series, flew through the minor leagues, single A, double A, triple A, lit it up every step of the way, and I'm ready for him to go from the College World Series to the World Series. The success of Evan Carter and his call-up in September, the other Rangers rookie says, go for the home run, swing for the fences, bring up Wyatt Langford. Two wins to go. I expect it. No more appreciation. Every step of the way, it's been, this has been such a wonderful ride. I appreciate this trip taken by the Rangers. Now I need, I expect to win the World Series. Story number one. Scenes from New York City reminiscent of the third world, what illegal immigration is doing to America. The past weekend, I was in New York. I went out and grabbed dinner with one of my buddies. I lived in New York for 15 years. This friend of mine has lived in New York City for, I think, almost 25 years. He was talking to me about riding the subway. I was a regular subway rider during my 15 years of living in New York, but ever since I've begun my commute from Dallas, I don't ride the subway. Really, never. I've noticed a change on the streets of New York. Of course, during COVID, there was a rise in crime. You could feel that. You could feel that type of tension on the street. And often when I'm back home in Texas, people ask me how bad it is in New York. And my answer is, honestly, it's not that bad. Like You don't experience, you don't feel the tension that you might have felt in 2020. No, when it comes to crime, at least in most of your nice neighborhoods, you can pretty much go back to feeling normal. The time frame that I lived in New York is often described as Disney New York by longtime New Yorkers. I'm talking about people that lived there in the 80s into the 90s, or even on, say, the Upper West Side of Manhattan. It was rough. There was still huge project complexes that had been cleared out and just started to build schools. And then there was long 
streets of brownstones that had turned into slums. And there was the crack epidemic that bled over into the 1990s. And it was rough. And anybody that lived in New York City at that time was used to, you know, getting mugged. But the New York City that I moved to in 2006 and lived until about 2021 was what they described as Disney New York. I mean, I never really felt unsafe. And I had a life that extended into all neighborhoods regularly, nightly, spent time in Harlem. And I felt safe. I mean, relatively safe at almost all times in New York City. It's not back to Disney New York, but you can feel pretty normal. But something has happened over just the past three years. And it's it's something that... It isn't inescapable, but it isn't hard to make part of your daily life. And that's the feeling, that's the visual, that's the experience of illegal immigration in New York City. I have been walking along in the Upper West Side and seeing guys sitting in stoops and not pleasant, happy guys sitting along in stoops. And quite clearly, you can see these guys have immigrated from somewhere in Central America barely speaking English, and in my experience, just anecdotally angry for whatever reason, false promises or failed expectations. But that still pales into comparison to what my friend told me this past weekend that he's begun to see. He still rides the subway. He said, when you get off the subway now, there's like fruit stands, mango stands, right there in Midtown when you get off. And while somebody is selling stuff that looks like you could have found maybe in El Salvador, not in Midtown Manhattan. The stark image is that there's a chill, a child, there's children off to the side, coloring in a coloring book. I mean, it's during school hours. It's when you would expect a child to be learning, but these are children coloring next to a fruit stand in Midtown. There are on subway cars, Experiences of people coming up to you selling you candy, and that's always been a sort of a part of the city. It's quite honestly, usually young black kids who are raising money, as they tell you, for their basketball team, and they're selling candy out of a cardboard box for a dollar or two per piece per bar. But now it's like the subways are full of children salesmen, something that long ago went away in America, child labor laws. Not just child labor laws, but child labor necessity, an economy that allowed an entire country to move beyond the necessity of employing children. We could afford to send our kids to school, to educate our kids, and not send them off into the workforce. But not so when you were literally importing poverty. Who's coming to America illegally? The poorest from Central America. And then there's one particular image. My friend showed me a picture he took. One particular image that had no place in America. And that's a child, eight, nine years old, begging on the subway, walking up to people with his hands open, both hands out, begging for money. Now, first, you can kind of hear that and think, oh, man, that's sad. But then I want you to think about that a little more deeply. Have you ever seen that in America? If you've traveled, you see it, if you've traveled to Mexico, if you've traveled to Central or South America, even even at times in Europe, you can see children begging. In Europe, that's usually by 
Again, refugees are illegal immigrants. But you don't see that in America. An unattended child, no visible accompanying adult, walking up to strangers with hands out, like in India, asking for money. It's incredibly sad. Something that we had long since moved beyond. And I would love for you to tell me where you were used to seeing that in America. I lived in New York for 15 years. I saw many of crazy things. I participated in many of crazy things. I've had my son... I don't want to turn your stomach. I've had my son vomit on the subway spontaneously, clearing out an entire subway car. I've seen crazy things in New York. I've never seen a child begging. It's not a third world country. That's New York City. And that now is something that is happening just acutely within the last three years here in America. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Story number two. Horrific incident from the world of hockey. Hockey league out of the U.K., man named Matt Petgrave, skating along, stumbles to some extent. His back leg raises. The blade of his skate comes into contact with a player from the opposing team named Adam Johnson. Adam Johnson had spent some time in the NHL. He was now playing over in the U.K. The blade of Petgrave's skate slices across Johnson's neck, cutting his jugular and killing Adam Johnson. There are many people who have wondered, is this criminal? Is it reckless? Is it negligent? Is it intentional? It's an awkward movement when you see it on video. And there is a history, it has happened, where things that have happened within the realm of sports, a sucker punch, a hack from a hockey stick, a, um, a car running over another driver, has led to the investigation and at times the charge of criminal conduct. So does this, what we saw in this hockey, this tragic moment in the hockey ring, does it amount to criminality? I decided to invite in my friend, excellent criminal defense attorney from Collin County in Dallas County, Texas, Todd Shapiro. We went to law school together at the University of Texas. I decided to bring Todd into this program to walk through the details of this case and figure out, is what we saw not just tragic, but is it criminal? Todd Shapiro, what's up, man? Um, let's go into this at a minimum tragic case, at a maximum criminal case over in the UK when it comes to hockey. When you see this incident between Matt Petgrave and Adam Johnson, Adam Johnson sadly 
has died. When you see that incident, um, do you think it amounts to anything criminal? Uh, first of all, well, thanks for having me. I always enjoy being on with you and, and talking about uh, issues and cases and the law. Um, do I think it was criminal? No, I, I, I don't. I think it was a tragic accident. I think it was within the field of play. Hockey is a dangerously brutal sport, uh, very physical, as we know, involves a lot of body checking, hip checking, knee checking, a lot of intimidation. You know, I've slowed this video down and watched it multiple times, as I'm sure you have as well. Um, taking a step back even further, you know, we, 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 we can look at all realm of sports and, and try to decide what would be considered criminal versus just part of the game, you know, whether it's bad taste or not. And you really have to take it to the full extent of gross negligence or recklessness or even intentionally or knowingly, you know, to say that should be criminal behavior as opposed to just a very bad accident of two, two people, you know, really getting after it. I think in this particular instance, uh, it, it was a very, very tragic, obviously seen that the guy lost, you know, control of his leg and, and, and the skate was at just the perfect angle at the perfect moment, at the perfect time to do what it did. I don't think there was ever any intent. Of course not. There was not any intent. The question is, was it reckless, you know, in, in, in his regard? I just don't see how you can make I can bridge that gap. It just doesn't seem like that to me. So let's talk about the law. Let's you, you mentioned several terms and every state's going to have their own law. And this took place in England. So there's going to be a, a different set of standards over there as well. But this is an example of the types of laws that that exist in the United States where they measure when something that happens within the course of a game has crossed over into a willing participant in the game into criminal conduct. Um, this uh, this particular statute reads any blow struck in anger or which is intended or likely to do bodily harm is criminal assault. A central issue is whether the degree of force used exceeds that which be anticipated by a player in consenting to participate to a sport. And now I want to read this from Newsweek. This is talking about um, perhaps applying it a little bit better over to the UK. Um Essentially, the position is that injuries caused in the course of an ordinary lawful sporting contest are within the bounds of ordinary conduct and hence do not give rise to liability, even when, for example, they contravene the rules of the game, amounting to a foul or violent conduct. However, extreme recklessness, a term that you just used, extreme recklessness, for example, wearing deliberately extra sharpened boots or something or a deliberately inflicted injury of a serious kind, might fall outside the bounds of the exception of a willing participant if it leads to death. And he says, I'm this particular professor of criminal law at the London School of Economics says, I'm not aware of anything of this nature that was involved in this case. So, Todd, you know, that sets the standard which you kind of set for us. It needs to be extreme, reckless, or intended for the result, in which case I don't think the result intended has to be death it could just be assault that 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 results in death but that's happened in sports we've seen the law pursue actions in sports outside of the realm of sports in the realm of criminal justice i mean we've seen it in hockey that's correct but i would think that's more along the lines of you know somebody taking it in a sport where a stick is involved whether it's hockey or baseball where you know the stick is intended to use to hit the puck or to hit a baseball and instead, in a moment of rage or anger, 
sudden passion that stick is now used as an assault weapon, right? Where we would see that out on the street that that could be considered a deadly weapon. There was nothing about this situation that that skate was used in anger or in passion or, hey, I'm going after this guy. My skate is now turning into a deadly weapon or a weapon that I'm intending to inflict some sort of physical harm. It was a moment that they were colliding in the in the course of action, the course of the game, wherein their bodies collided in such a way to inflict the obvious terrible, terrible death that took place. It was not as if he took his skate and slashed across the guy's face in anger. So I, th- I, that's where I see the distinction. An example that I was talking to somebody about earlier would be, uh, you know, I'm shocked at this point in the NFL, you know, here at home. These guys have gotten so big, so strong, so fast that there hasn't been a collision that causes some sort of serious bodily injury or death on, a, on an NFL football field. Um that if a defensive back or a safety were to come in head first and hit a wide receiver at the right angle, that he wouldn't crush a windpipe, break a neck, you know, cause somebody to die right there on the field, wherein, you know, they're coming in and, and hitting somebody so hard, they didn't intend to do anything other than make a football play, but they came in at such an angle that, you know, slow motion, slowing everything down frame by frame, you're like, oh, that's a wanton and willful act. You know, I, I just don't see it unless it's 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 very obvious. So you, you brought up the stick. There's that's where the precedent lies in hockey. It's the the most famous one I think is 2004, um, or rather 2000. It's the year 2000. It's it's uh, McSorley and Brashear. Any sports fan that's roughly your and my age probably remembers that Donald Brashear, Marty McSorley, um, hit him with a stick, and McSorley ended up in Canada getting 18 months probation on a conviction of assault. There's been others sucker punched and that kind of thing, Todd Bertuzzi and Steve Moore, that went with civil liability. But let me ask you if, if these two things matter. Does does Matt Petgrave's um, performance history impact at all whether or not you would look at potential criminal charges? So you're trying to put some intention into recklessness or assault. If he's you know, it's been stated that he leads the league in uh, penalty minutes, and two of the last four games he's been kicked out for, I guess, um, going after the, the refs or the, um, is it the umps or the refs in hockey? Forgive me, I only tune in once the playoff starts for the Stars. Um, but going after the refs, would his history on the ice impact at all potential criminal charges? I don't I don't think so. I, I you know... He, if he's a goon, if he's a, an enforcer, if he's a, if he's one of these guys, it's always seems to be in some sort of penalty trouble. I don't think that can extrapolate into he's now a murderer uh, or, or he should be held responsible for manslaughter. I just don't think in any scenario what happened was contemplated in the moment that let me use my, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to come after this guy and hopefully get my foot in the right position to really send a message to him with my skate. I, I don't think there was anything about that situation that uh, you can read it to. And yes, intentions don't have to be stated, right? It's not as if he's got to say, here, I come with my skate and I'm going to use it as a weapon. Intentions can be inferred from actions. And based upon what I've seen personally, uh, I don't see anything in his actions that show intent. Well, that's my second thing that I want to see if it impacted. You know, when I look at the video and I'm just trying to look at it dispassionately, but 
and I, I made fun of myself a minute ago, but I have watched a decent amount of hockey, and then I've also read from other hockey players, that's not a natural movement. Like his leg coming up that high, it looked like a karate chop or karate kick. Okay. You know, his leg and his skate was really high. And I don't know the situation where you would end up, you know, it, it does, to be honest, just as a layman just looking, it does look like he's trying to kick the guy. To me, it looks like he's trying to kick the guy. That doesn't mean to me I think he's trying to kill the guy or that he's even trying to slice the guy, but it does look like, to me, an unnatural movement where he's trying to kick the guy. Does that not... I I think I've heard you say several times it doesn't to you, but I imagine that's the whole calculus, right? Does it look natural? Um, I I think it looks like he lost control, maybe lost control of himself at the moment. It looks like somebody mentioned to me earlier... It looks like he may have lost control of that leg, and 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 as he launched to try to collide, it looked like he was maybe trying to go knee to knee. I guess that's a a common hockey move as well. It's a dirty one. It's not one that's condoned by most players, fans, or coaches. But it looked like he was maybe trying to take one leg at the other leg um, for a for a particular type of a body check, and that he simply lost control of that leg, and that's why it flew up so high in the air. Uh, along with the, the victim falling at a certain angle. I mean, again, the angles on this thing and the timing had to be so absolute and minute at the same moment for this to happen the way it did. It's almost like, you know, two ships passing in the night. It's, it's just impossible that it happened the way it did, except in that exact moment in time. And it's just so very unfortunate that it happened that way. Well, the other incident that pops to my mind that backs up your conclusion that this isn't criminal is the one that I thought probably got the closest to criminality, which is I don't know if you remember this, Todd, but in 2014, Tony Stewart and uh, Kevin Ward at a sprint car race in like upstate New York, dirt track, they had had an interaction on the track where I think Stewart had put Ward into the wall. He spun out. He was mad. Everybody else went under caution. Ward gets out of his car, starts walking down the track towards the oncoming cars, pointing and yelling, clearly targeting Tony Stewart. And Tony Stewart's car clips him and kills him. And the question then was, did Tony Stewart just intentionally kill Kevin Ward because they were both mad at each other? And ultimately, all, all law enforcement and prosecutors in, in, in New York came back with no, that, that that didn't happen. And if that to me, if it, if it didn't, it just to me, that illustrates the difficulty of finding criminal intent in sports. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, if that if that didn't do it, then certainly something within the field of play like this um just doesn't meet the definition. I I think uh, what I read today was the police or law enforcement in England or, or, you know, have the case or investigating. Um, I've read some accounts from some players that were on ice level um, and saw the players collide. I don't think anybody um, from that perspective had any other uh, conclusion other than that it was an accident. I expect that law enforcement is going to come to the same conclusion. Uh, I would be surprised if they went in any other direction. All right, Todd Shapiro, my buddy. Excellent lawyer. Thank you as always, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Paul. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with my friend, excellent attorney, Todd Shapiro. If you have any legal troubles in North Texas, he's your man, Todd Shapiro. I should say that this case, this incident between Matt Petgrave and Adam Johnson, like so many others in America, has devolved into some type of proxy fight for race. It didn't come up in our conversation because it isn't relevant, but Petgrave, Black, Johnson, White. It's just like anything else in America. You have to look at this and go, well, you know, is someone defending him because of his skin color? Is someone indicting him because of his skin color? By the way, there are reports 
that Matt Petgrave is distraught over what happened. I mean, it's true, your skepticism, or better yet, your cynicism is well-earned, because there are people who take a position based upon very superficial characters in this tragedy. I'm not one. I can say that in all confidence. But if you think this rose beyond simply tragedy, but into criminality, you'll be accused of racism. And if you defend it inconsistently or instinctually, are you in turn engaging in racism? Like everything in America, it can't simply be a tragedy. It has to be part of the larger melodrama, the tragic history of America. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. Story number three. The presentation, the evidence, and the verdict on whether Ron DeSantis is wearing lifts in his cowboy boots. Now, there are very many, I'm not sure how many things in this world that I can, without a doubt, look at you dead in the eye and say to you, I'm an expert. But when it comes to cowboy boots... I might be as close as you're going to get outside of a cobbler, outside of a bootmaker, of being an expert. Not only have I worn cowboy boots since my teens, I have an unhealthy obsession with cowboy boots. I don't know how many I own, how many pairs of cowboy boots I own. I inherited, because they can be an heirloom, I inherited, I don't know, 10 pairs of cowboy boots through my lifetime. I've bought another two dozen I would say I probably own somewhere between 30 and 40 pairs of cowboy boots. And I have every kind that you can imagine. I have western heels, riding heels, roper heels, ostrich, smooth cow skin, smooth ostrich skin. I have had elephant. I have rough out, also known as suede. I have every imaginable skin. Well, not all but almost every imaginable skin and style that you can envision when it comes to cowboy boots. Why does my expertise matter today? Because there is an accusation that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, presidential candidate in the Republican Party, is wearing lifts in his cowboy boots, internal heels designed to make him look taller. He was confronted on the Patrick Bet David podcast about this viral internet accusation. He denied it and said he buys off-the-rack Lucchese cowboy boots. Now, I want to first say, I'm not interested in the story the way that I feel like so much or so many are on the internet. I'll be real. I think in some ways it's hackish. People are going after Ron DeSantis because they're all in on Trump and they just want to destroy DeSantis. And so looking for any small thing. And I'm not doing this today, For that reason, I'm doing it because it's fun. And I think it's interesting. It doesn't impact really one way or another how I feel about Ron DeSantis. And he's not the only person or candidate who uh, certainly has made questionable fashion choices or who is dealing with insecurity or physical flaws. I mean, Donald Trump wears bronzer. I mean, he wears bronzer. I mean, so do I. I wear bronzer. Look, To show you that I'm not going after Ron DeSantis for any partisan or personal perspective, look at me. I've got a come-and-go jawline. I'm like a piece of fruit 
that you can't decide if it's ripe or if it's already turned. A piece of meat that does it smell quite right. I'm not young. I'm not old. I'm right there on that edge. The creases around my eyes a little too deep. Again, the jawline a little too indistinct. I'm bordering at times on skinny fat. So I come at you not from a position of expertise on physical perfection. I don't I don't come at you today to mock from a position of <laughs> I don't come at you from today from a position of ability to mock somebody because of my superiority. And again, a non-support of a political candidate because I think we've well We've at this point, we have well discussed Donald Trump's interesting hairstyles or his overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive physical administered by his doctors in the White House, where I think he comes back essentially at six four two fifteen, runs a four four forty. If you weren't playing, if you weren't running for president, he'd be playing tight end in the NFL. No, no, I'm interested in this not because I think I'm great. Or I'm for Donald Trump, but rather just because I think it's really interesting that Ron DeSantis might be wearing lifts inside of his cowboy boots. So first, a little bit of a tutorial on cowboy boots. For those of you listening on the Will Kane podcast and not watching, I have in my hands a pair of riding boots. These are true cowboy boots. These are from the Will Kane Montana ranching days. What you're looking at here is a cowboy boot designed for cowboying. You got shark skin heels so that it doesn't scuff up or tear up leather when you put on spurs. It's got a shelf on the heel for a spur. It's got reinforced leather right along the jean line for all kinds of reasons, not just jeans, but where's the front of your spurs come around and latch so that you'll wear out that leather. It's got most notably, oh, by the way, on the, the throat, on the top of the boot, it's got huge pull holes. So you can pull the boot off and on. This type of boot, by the way, quite honestly, look at the deep, deep the cuts are. The boots can gather and stack at the top or come on the outside like a normal cowboy boot. Because this isn't about fashion. This is about cowboying. But why I pull this boot out is I want to show you the heel. That's a riding heel. That's an extreme western heel. Deep in cut here the inside this is designed to get in and out of a stirrup easily it's tall enough this is designed to be sitting on a horse not walking around trust me you walk around in this thing long enough you're gonna feel it it raises up that's a good what is that that's a good two and a half inch heel now but if you sit your if you sit your heel down in this you know you can see this is my foot sitting in it you know the ball of my toe is going to hit in the towards the final three quarters of the boot. I know some of you are listening and not watching, but my toes would end up right near around near the, the toe of the boot. That right there is a riding heel. Now, I've got a couple of pairs here I want to show you. These are Western heels. This is what Ron DeSantis is wearing. You can see this is a Western heeled cowboy boot. Lower, but still, that's about a one inch to one and a quarter inch heel right there, right? Still got the Western cuts in a little bit. Not a straight down dingo boot style of a heel. Western, this is your traditional cowboy boot. This is your traditional dress, not riding, walking around cowboy boot. That's just cow skin right there. I think this is, yeah, this is Lucchese. That's, that's what Ron DeSantis says he's wearing right there. Off the rack, Lucchese. These are my, these are everyday boots for me. All right. Then we're going to stick, stick with this boot, man. This here, another Western heel, right? I walk around in this one. This is smooth ostrich. Okay. This is custom ML Letty's. 
And the reason I'm going to leave this one out, we're going to talk about this one, is we're going to compare that to Ron DeSantis. I'm going to put these boots around here. Now, if you're listening, I'll do my best to visually show you what we're talking about. Here's another Western Hill. That's full quill ostrich. I think that's Lucchese, too. Yep, that's Lucchese. Full quill ostrich, Western Hill. This one is a snip toe because I like every kind of boot. I got round toe, square toe, snip toe. I wear them all. You can see that's that's probably the most controversial toe, guys. Not quite a roach stomper, you know, the pointers that you can get a roach up in the corner of the room. But that... I like I like a little flair on my cowboy boot. These these are for when you're dressing up. That's dress black cherry cowboy boot. All right. Here's an everyday boot right here. That's just Tacovas. Everybody's probably bought a pair. These are these these I wear around the campfire. They're beat up. That's rough out or suede. But why well, I got this one out. This is a roper heel. Okay. That's just a plain old walking heel. Okay. Not really a dress boot style. But you can you can get it in dress. Right. Here's a roper. That's full quill ostrich black. I think this one's Justin. Anyway, now Ron DeSantis is wearing a Western heel designed to give you a little height. Not designed, but it just, it's just what it does. Again, this one is about a one and a quarter inch heel. Ron DeSantis's external heel looks a little bit bigger than this heel. That's fine. You want a little bit higher external heel? That's fine. The question is, is he got a lift inside designed to give him another two inches so that again if you're listening instead of watching i'm drawing a line a diagonal line from where the heel of the boot meets the instep up towards the back of the heel right to lift you up another couple of inches and if you did have an internal an internal lift You'd look like those ladies' boots. You know, there's those suede lady boots. You can see this on the internet, by the way. Uh, some videos comparing Ron DeSantis is like that. Where you end up walking on your tippy toes. And your foot sits like this. In this boot, which I would wear, you can see my foot, foot would sit like this, right? My heel here, my the the big knuckle on my big toe about here, and the end of my toe about here, all the way up to the toe. The knuckle about three quarters up the boot. But if you are lifting your heel up, you're going to be like this. You're going to be an extreme diagonal. Now, what would that do? It would do a lot of things from the outside to the boot. So let's walk through the evidence. Number one, you can see video of Ron DeSantis walking across stage and it looks weird. He's doing like a high knee step and then a short, you know, stride and it's as though he can't really walk in the cowboy boots naturally, which you should be able to walk in any one of these heels. This one would be the toughest to walk in, but you'd get there naturally. You, he seems to be walking on the ball of his foot, like if you were wearing five-inch stiletto heels. It just looks weird. Piece of evidence number two. His shins look abnormally long. When he's wearing a suit, when you see him sit, he was on Bill Maher. And when you see him sit, his foot's on the ground, where his knee... Uh, and you can see the length up to his knee. He His shins look really long, like the heels of his foot aren't on the ground. Maybe that's his way his body shaped, but I do think it's suspect. Number three, something looks weird in the heel. Okay, I don't know if this is a piece of evidence, but just watch enough. When he's sitting there on that set of Bill Maher, something looks off where his heel seems to be sitting in the boot. And that's evidenced by number four. This part of the boot, the top of your boot, right here where you know it would be the top of your foot, 
you can see how mine's kind of creased a little bit right there. This is where the leather folds a little when you do that, right? All of my boots would look like that. You can see on the instep here, you can see it's creased right there where where your ankle bends in the front of your boot. All of these, you'd see the crease. Well, DeSantis's are pulled taut when he's wearing it. Like, really, like, when his foot's are, this is all stretched out up here in the top of the boot where your top of your ankle would be. And I think that's because he's jamming his foot into a boot that's too big and pushing his heel back this way and stretching the top of his boot right here. You can see images, and I'm sorry that I don't have these images available for you right now. Next, the the knuckle, again, my your big toe knuckle, it, it should hit about right here. DeSantis's looks like it's hitting about back here, way back about the middle of the boot. Not the right place for a knuckle unless you were lifting it up into an extreme diagonal. But then, finally, the biggest piece of evidence, in order to do that, if you had lifts on the inside and you were forcing your foot to go this way, then you wouldn't be filling diagonal, extreme down down. you wouldn't be filling out the front of your boot, right? You wouldn't be filling out the toe box of your boot. And you might have to get boots that are too big for you in order to pull this off. So what that does is it makes the toe curl up because your feet aren't in it. But you can see mine... I mean, there's a slight bit of curl here, right? But his kind of look like that. I'm bending it up. Almost like a there's, there's those Mexican boots from a few years ago that had extreme curls up. Remember those? It was a style like 10 years ago. Or like a clown shoe a little bit, you know? kind of pops up. Look at that. That's a snip toe. That's a long boot. Snip toe went longer, so get out. Because my toes actually end right here on this boot. Because of the way that toe box is designed, you're not going to jam all your toes into this little spot. So your toes kind of end right here. And you can see it still doesn't curl up. Still doesn't curl up. Which says to me, the Ron DeSantis' toes aren't going up toward the front of his boot. And they're not because he's lifting it up at an extreme diagonal from an internal lift. Verdict? Yes, Ron DeSantis is wearing lifts. Says he's 5'11". I don't care how tall he is. Doesn't matter. I don't care even that he's putting a lift in. I don't. Okay, maybe he's got an insecurity or two about his height, and so he's. I don't care. I don't think it matters when it comes to running for president. He could still earn my vote. I don't care. But we might as well look for the truth and have a little fun on something where I happen to be an expert: cowboy boots. That's going to do it for today here on the Will Kane Podcast. I will see you again next time. Listen ad free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and. Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.